Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored, as always, by Greening Law. Personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, though? I would be the non-sexy one, Matt McLaren. It's Jam Session, the podcast, version 302, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. Man, we got a lot to get into here on this episode. We'll have ESPN's Todd Archer get his thoughts on what we saw Sunday night against the Eagles and as the Cowboys prepare for the Detroit Lions coming to town on Sunday. Back-to-back games against the AFC. Actually, is this weird? They play four straight games against the, the NFC North. Isn't you that right? What? I hadn't thought about it till you said that. That's got to be weird. That's just a schedule. Yeah, I don't, I don't recall ever seeing where they play. They knock out all their one-division games all in successive weeks. I mean, granted, the bye is in the middle of that, but that's what it is. The Lions and the Bears at home, the bye, and then the Vikings or the Packers and the Vikings the weeks after that. That is weird. I wonder if that's ever happened before. We got to ask Arch about that later. I wonder, not that he would know off the top of his head, but that, I mean, what a bizarre quirk of the schedule that is. Anyway, so that's fun. (laughs) Knowing Arch, that's the kind of thing that he notices, though. Yeah, he'd probably be like, well, actually, in 1987, the Cowboys were playing. (laughs) He'd go right through it. You never know. But is he going to talk in that voice? (laughs) We can only hope so. <laughs> that sounds like your white guy Jacques voice. Hi there, buddy. Exactly. Would you like a Miller Lite? <laughs> yeah, these dates we're just drinking eight. It's got what do you call it? No fillers, <laughs> just real organic uh, stuff in it. Can I pick you up around here for you and your friends? Sure, you can, buddy. <laughs> Oh, it never gets old, man. We got a lot to discuss. The Cowboys, your article about Dak and what the Cowboys need to do. Before we get into that, though, greening law, my friends, if you've been hurt in a car accident, if you've experienced malpractice from a physician or a hospital, or maybe you were injured on the premises of a business, you got to call the lawyers at greening law, man. They have represented clients from all sorts of different things. They represent me. They've been working with me for well over a year now. I can tell you the green team they fight your legal battle so that you have time for healing and renewal. That, that's literally what it is. You focus on you. They focus on all the headaches and crap behind the scenes. Dude, that's why you need to pick up the phone and give them a call. 972-934-8900. If you're ever involved in an accident, doesn't matter whether it's an 18-wheeler, it's at an apartment complex, a business, any of that, man. You pick up the phone, you give them a call, and you say, hey, green team, here's my situation. What do you think? 
They'll listen to you. And if they bring you on as a client, I'm telling you, that's a big deal, man. Because Matt will tell you, this is kind of a complicated process. Who doesn't want somebody shining a flashlight, leading you down the path and saying, hey, here's where you walk. Here's what you do. Hey, I know you didn't know this was coming up, but now you do. Uh, we'll take it from here. It's that easy. Consultation's free. Find out if you've got a case. 972-934-8900. It's Robert Greening. Call him now. Offices, Dallas, Texas. The Cowboys getting ready for the Lions, and by barring some sort of weird setback or breaking news, Dak Prescott's going to be the starting quarterback on Sunday against the Lions for that noon kick. You had an article in the Dallas Morning News today, and and, and this is one of the things that I always think is interesting, and we used to talk about this on the radio, and it's even more expansive now that more time has gone by. But this is a team... And we've kind of talked about this going into the season. We talked about it throughout the course of their first few games. This is a team that's got to commit to running the ball and finding ways to be able to run the ball successfully. And we can debate all day whether or not Dak is some great quarterback. That's not what this is. But the reality of it is the Cowboys have been really good when you limit Dak as opposed to overexposing him. No, man, it's always been like that. Um, because I don't see him as an elite passer. He's a really good passer, and he can make a lot of throws, but nobody's ever said he's an elite passer. And so the more you limit him, the better your return. Um, I think I said 32 is the sweet spot for him. I think yeah. he's 36 and – what is that number, Matt? 36 Thir- and 7? 36 and 8. Yeah, and one of those – he only played a half in, in a uh, loss to uh, Philadelphia, I think, uh, when the Cowboys had already clinched the division. And so – um, you know, that's why I thought it was dumb that they were like, oh, we can, we're going to go into downgrade the receivers and let Dak lead us. Like, he ain't never really been that dude as a quarterback. Um, he's a guy who can make plays because he's a playmaker, real talk. And he can get you in and out of good stuff and bad stuff because he's really smart. and He's got great leadership skills. None of that makes you an elite passer. And so that, to me, is why with this particular team, this particular year, no matter who the quarterback is, it's got to be about defense and special teams. Yeah, and, and I think that's fair, man. And it's not to say that they can't win if he throws it more than 32 times. I mean, obviously, you can pick and choose their, their, the wins that that's happened in his career. But the reality of it is when you're throwing it 32 times or less, that generally leads to the idea that you did focus on the run and you had success with the run. And hopefully you're not playing from colossally behind, as we've seen in some years where they have been playing behind a lot and they throw more trying to get back into the game. Ideally, with this offense, you can control the clock enough. Even if you're not scoring, you've got a good enough defense to where you just have to play football where you're not turning it over and you're not giving the opposing offenses short fields, much like they did against the Eagles on Sunday night, where Philadelphia is starting those drives in, their own, in your own territory. And I think if you can find the right balance on that, there's no reason to believe that this isn't a team that can do some things. No, man, I think it, uh, it absolutely is. It's... Um... But again, the key is is finding the right balance. How yeah. do you want to play and playing the way that allows you to win and take advantage of what you do best? And when they do that, you know, they're going to be a, um, a tough team to beat. And when they don't, they're going to struggle. Yeah, and, and that's where it's at right now. I mean, you look at this. I mean, obviously, anytime you're throwing at a colossal amount in your career, 
you're probably coming from behind. But I was just curious. He's thrown it 49 times or more in a game. What is this, eight times, and the Cowboys are two and six in those games. Now, that's not necessarily saying that that's all because Dak was throwing a ton. Again, generally speaking, you're playing from behind. But I think it's obvious, as you identified in your article, what the sweet spot is and really what you're hoping to get from Dak is effective quarterback play where he can move the ball through the air, but more importantly, they're having enough success on the ground where you have a more balanced offense, which I think is ideally really what they want. I mean, I think that's what they talked about. And so, you know, when I talk about his ego, that's kind of a buzzword that gets people talking. But when you talk about the ego of a situation, what what you're really talking about is the game plan and the best thing to do is to run the ball sometimes even into a running front but because you're Dak Prescott and you're a veteran you like throwing touchdown passes you like throwing the ball because you're quarterback you go you know what it's a better time to pass and you can do that 10 times in a game pretty easily and nobody would say you're wrong it'd just be like but that's not how we need to play sometimes it's not about did this running play into a running front gain a big gain it's about it allows us to shorten the game it allows us to bang away and wear them down so that we can run like we want to run later. And so you just have to stay with some of those looks and some of those situations. Uh, plus, bro, and I think this is, is a big deal. Are they a better running team or passing team? Because if you look at the, the linemen, if you look at Zach Martin and the two tackles, uh, especially the two tackles are better run blockers than pass blockers. Um, how about Jake Ferguson? He's a better run blocker than Dalton Schultz. And then when you look at the running backs, you know, you're a better running team right now. So you need to take advantage of it. Yeah. And I thought that was one of those other things that I thought was interesting is the the line that you had in your article. The Cowboys have three excellent run blocking linemen, Zach Martin, Tyler Smith, who and it's hard not to say it's amazing to think of all the things the Cowboys might have nailed this year that Tyler Smith might be. I mean, we may be talking about this like four years from now about a guy who's a multiple time all pro by that point, And we're sitting here going, well, I guess the Cowboys all were correct and saw it because man, we did not think that Tyler Smith was, was going to be nearly as good as what he's been, but he's been very, very, very good. No, he's uh, and you know, I blame the Cowboys for a lot of that, man. You could only go by what you see and what you hear. And the people that you talk to. Yeah. Um, and and people's personal history. And his history was he struggled. I mean, he was a dominant physical player, but he struggled at Tulsa. If you struggle at Tulsa, we can assume that you'll struggle at the NFL. Then they tell us he can't beat out Connor McGovern, who couldn't beat right. out Connor Williams. And it's like, dude, then y'all messed up, if that's what you're telling us. Yeah. Um, but when thrust into, uh, into action in his natural position, which is left guard, He's been really good. And I say that because, yeah, he gets beat. Every tackle gets beat. Um, but he certainly hadn't gotten beat with any regularity. And he's made some plays in a running game that, you, that make you go, yeah, he's legit. He is, man. And, and it's, it's working nicely. So we'll see when Dak comes back how this thing is going to look. It's nice that he gets almost like we were talking about this on Sunday night after the game. The idea that you're playing the Lions and then you get the Bears, neither one of those teams is very good. The Cowboys would be expected. And quite honestly, I'll be disappointed if they lose either one of those games. Then you get into the bye and we'll see what happens when you go on the road to Green Bay and and to Minnesota. Winning on the road in the NFL, winning on the road at any level of football is just difficult to do. You know, that's something that... I have an interview, and this is just like a random tangent. I do an interview every week with a player, a coach, or somebody affiliated with UAB, the Blazers, who play in Conference USA. This is a, it's a good college football team, okay? 
And right. They have lost twice on the road this year, both times to teams they shouldn't have lost to. And I ask every single one of them, what is it about playing on the road? Why is it the road where you guys seem to struggle? And then maybe we'll get into this later. You look at Alabama and their struggles on the road this year. Playing on the road, I don't care what level of football you're at, playing on the road is really tough to do, and it's even harder when you're when you're going up against teams that have a little bit more familiarity with you, which are your divisional or in college, your conference foes. It's hard to win on the road in football, man. Now, some of it is you're just not in your comfort zone, whether it's staying at a hotel and not sleeping in your own bed or you can't go through the exact routine that you prefer. That's some of it. Some of it is. Other teams play better at Crib because they got the home fans behind them. They get more jacked up. And we talk about this basketball all the time, and it's not really that much different than football. Your role players tend to play better at home because they play with more confidence. Um, so when you put that all together, then, yeah, that's why you play better on the road than you do at home. Yeah, so so as, as it— uh, Or better at home than on the road. Right, and, and we'll see what the Cowboys do with that here. Again, as we talked about that weird quirk in the schedule with two NFC North teams at home, the bye, and then two NFC North teams on the road. I discovered something else that is very strange, and this just popped up because I was looking at Dak on Pro Football Reference. And, you know, I, for those that don't know, Pro Football Reference is a great— website statistically and all kinds of different things you can use it for but they always list like anytime you look up a player it'll list like the awards and whatnot like out to the side of their name right like for Dax it, it says 2x pro bowl two-time pro bowler says 2016 AP offensive rookie of the year then it had an orange 2022 in VP and I was like what the hell? I've never seen this before I was like what the hell is that and so I click on it <laughs> Why is Pro no. Football Reference putting this on here? The 2022 MVP, that means he was the Nickelodeon valuable player. Stop. I swear stop. to you. On ProFootballReference.com. They need to stop this. What right are now. we doing? What? It, what? That's not even a real award. That's like when yeah. actors and stuff win the MD, MTV award for best on-screen kiss and they just go home and throw it away. They're like, well, this was trash. <laughs> I can't believe they put that on there. I couldn't either. And I've never seen it. That's how come I saw I was like, what? It's like, what is that? Is that some new award I'm unfamiliar with? And it was because it's an award from children who watch Nickelodeon, I guess. Wow. Yeah, man. I mean, imagine that. Imagine that. I wonder if that's listed on his Nickelodeon webpage. I mean, his uh, Wikipedia page. <laughs> if not, it will be soon. <laughs> Somebody's going to put the Nickelodeon Valuable Player of the Year is Dak Prescott. No, it's still not listed on there under his career highlights and awards. Well, that's unfortunate. Anyway, Dak will be back this week, and we'll dive into the game a little bit more. I, just on here, we record this on Tuesday afternoon, and I always look more at the matchup as we get later in the week and you get some practice and the injury reports come out and whatnot. But, man, just at, at first glance, I would be shocked if Dallas finds a way to lose this game. Yes, but there, it, there's a way to lose this game. And the way to lose it is, is this. Chicago defense is actually pretty good. It's their offense that can't move the ball at all. And so what you have to do is their offense will not move the ball on Dallas, except what? Justin Fields scrambling, making plays out of nowhere. And you just have to really keep your eye on him. But they're not going to move the ball. So if you don't turn it over and you make them drive, they're not going to score more than 10 points. Right, but before they play Chicago, they got to play Detroit. And Detroit is just as bad. <laughs> I mean, Detroit, 
Detroit is weird as hell, man. I mean, you look at what they did. They had 24 points or more in four straight games and then put up zero against the Patriots. Then they're coming off their bye, now on the road at Dallas. I don't know. I don't know what to make of this team. I will say this. Like what you were talking about with Chicago, their defense is good. Their offense is bad. Detroit's defense is horrible. Like Detroit's defense, you they have given up at least 27 points in all five of their games. Yeah, it's uh, this is why it made sense for Dak to come back this week, not against Philadelphia. You know, it's going to take some time to uh, to get back in the rhythm and figure out what you're doing and, you know, just find that comfort zone. Because remember, he didn't play all preseason. He played three quarters and some change, and then he was done against uh, Tampa Bay. So he hasn't really played a lot of live-action football, and we all know practice is not going to really get you get you ready for what you need. And so um, – I think it's a, it's a great name for Dak to come back. I'm sure Detroit will be using that for bulletin board material all week. Oh, he picked us to come back on. But they're so bad, it shouldn't really matter. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about this more in depth, but just quickly here. We just got finished talking about how the Cowboys want to run the ball and use Pollard and Zeke and do kind of what we saw in tandem against Philadelphia, even though they lost. Detroit so far this year gave up 235 to Seattle, 216 to Philadelphia, 176 to New England, 123 to Minnesota. The only team they've held under 120 yards rushing was Washington, who ran up 88 on them. This is not at all a good rush defense for Detroit, which you would think, especially being at home, plays into exactly what the Cowboys want to do. Um, dude, I, th- I think it's uh, I, th- I think that's what's going to happen. I mean, I think they're going to run it and run it and run it, use some play action, and let Dak get really well into the uh, into the game, you know, and find a rhythm. We shall that's see. What these, that's what these next two weeks are for. Indeed, they are. Yeah, I mean, get, get him, get some of that rust off you. Go into the bye, and then let's get ready to go three weeks from now when you again go back out on the road. So we, we shall see as we continue. All right, before we move on, let's tell you about a couple of our fantastic sponsors. As you know by now, Bruce Biltong. And if you don't know Bruce Biltong, why don't you know them? You should have already ordered your Bruce Biltong. Jacques and I both enjoy the sliced Biltong probably the most. I will say, if you get the slab and slice it yourself, that also is absolutely phenomenal. But it's Bruce Biltong. It is beef jerky, but it isn't. It's similar to beef jerky. It is a South African air-dried meat. It is 100% air-dried beef. It is phenomenal. It's more tender. It's more savory than what beef jerky is. It's called Biltong. It's it's originally from South Africa. And Bruce Biltong is the company you want to get it from, man, at BruceBiltong.com, B-R-U-S-B-I-L-T-O-N-G.com. It's a wonderful, wonderful snack. It's high in protein. It's just, I just wonder, like, I've had people ask me, do you really like that Biltong? Yes, I really, like... (laughs) Trust me, man. This is our podcast. We get to pick and choose who we work with. And this is the real deal. Biltong is legit. People should know by now that whenever we talk about a product that's legit, but no, man, the sliced Biltong, you know, y'all know by now I like to call them butt strips because that's the, the part of the animal that they come from and then they dry them out after they cut them into strips and it's uh, fantastic. And Matt told you everything, man. It's succulent. It's chewy. You don't chewy. Not chewy. Um, you don't need a toothpick after you finish and Dude, I like it, of course, because it's good for you. It's about uh, 230 calories in a two-ounce pouch, 30 grams of protein, 
that I mean, that's the perfect snack, bro. It is. It's bruisebiltong.com. So check them out. And remember to use the promo code JAM15, J-A-M-15, at checkout. You get 15% off your order. Also, of course, Freeway Tire Shop, JR and his crew, man, if you have not experienced Freeway Tire Shop, quite honestly, you have not experienced the greatest mechanic that has ever touched the face of the earth. No, and another Taylor car is headed there real soon. Golly, uh, really? Well, yeah, my dude's uh, check engine light uh, won't go out, and uh, you know it's not the gas cap; it's a few things. So he's taking it over there today, I believe, uh, to Jr. And here's why he's taking it, really, because I've told him you can trust Jr. to figure out number one, why is the check engine light on, and what's wrong with my car. Number two, whatever's wrong with it, he'll use quality parts to fix it. Number three. Whatever's wrong with it, he'll charge you, uh, meaning me, a fair yeah. price to fix it. And then whatever's wrong with it, he'll stand behind his work. So if it flares up again real soon, we'll just take it back and say, yo, dog, it popped up again. And he'll say, oh, wow, I wonder why. And then he'll fix that. And that's why we rock with JR. And that's why my dude is taking this car over there now. And, uh, you know, I'm sure I'll have another great testimonial next week. Yeah, you will, because that's what he does. It's freeway tire shop. And it can be anything, whether it's a check engine light, you need some mechanical work. Everybody needs oil changes, state inspections, alignments, tires, all that. They handle it at the most elite level at Freeway Tire Shop, the mechanic you can trust. So check them out online. You can schedule an appointment, request a quote at freewaytireshop.com. So let's take a trip around the block. And this is something, man, we are hurtling towards. We are less than two weeks away from Halloween, which means... We are about a month away from Thanksgiving, believe it or not. And I saw this article earlier today. And man, you don't think about it right now, but it makes sense because I think probably a lot of you guys know I eat a ridiculous amount of turkey. Like, I love turkey. Uh Uh-oh. Yes. I I eat turkey every day. I went to, we shop at, usually we get our groceries at Target or we go to, and I know people are going to laugh, the main grocery stores in Birmingham, if you don't go to like Target or something, you either go to Publix, which is a little bit more expensive, but very, very nice, or you go to Piggly Wiggly. I just can't rock with Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> I understand it. I just have I'm a just hard saying. time rocking. I mean, they used to have one in Dallas. Yeah, um, it, but there, there are like 10 of them around Birmingham. A couple of them are super nice. And then there's Winn-Dixie. There's Winn-Dixie's here as well. But we at Target, like a couple of weeks ago, I, I tell the lady, I'm like, hey, I'm going to go grab tur- some turkey and whatnot. I go to where the meats are, like the, the prepackaged meat and all that. They did not have a single kind of turkey from any single manufacturer. There was no turkey in the store. Wow. And I went back to like, I don't know what I'm going to do. They didn't have ham either. They were completely out of ham. Really? I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, what do I, because I eat every day for lunch, I eat a slice of habanero jack cheese with four slices of turkey on it. And I roll it into like a little turkey roll and I eat two of those for lunch. So I didn't know what to do. So what did you do? Well, what I did was I started eating more tuna packets at lunch. <laughs> and then now we went to a different store a couple of days after that and I was able to get some turkey. But I bring that up because I saw this article in the Dallas Morning News. They are letting people know that if you are somebody who wants like the smoked turkeys and whatnot, and that's something that you do for your Thanksgiving, you might want to get one now and make sure you have it ordered and you're going to pay a lot more than you did last year because turkey is hard to come by, apparently. There is a Damn. nationwide turkey shortage. That's, uh, wow. I just, I don't like turkey that much. 
um, I used to uh, really do a lot of um, ground turkey, and so I was really buying a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, but it's really so dry to me because it's it's turkey. Uh, that once they started doing ground chicken a few years ago, I really switched all my ground turkey to ground chicken. Uh, so I don't do a lot of turkey. But you, what you made me think of is, bro, I was at the store the other day. And because I do the majority of grocery shopping, I can really see the difference in prices. Oh my man. God. Like, it is insane. It's, I mean, I, 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 it's I, stunning. You I like to call them uh, fake Chick-fil-A nuggets at Sam's. And it doesn't matter whether you're going to a regular grocery store or you're going to Sam's. Yeah. When those things first came out, probably about four years ago, they were ten ninety eight a bag. Bro, I saw them things at 16 bucks for the same exact bag the other day. And I was just like, I love y'all, but not that much. Man, yeah, it's insane. You know, and all the grocery prices, I'm just like, damn. Yep. You know, you're supposed to go to the grocery store because eating out is so expensive, but this is tripping. Yeah, it's getting bad, man. And the thing with turkey is the price has really gone up because I used to get the type of turkey that I get. I could get for like six something for like, I can't remember the poundage on. I think it's a 14 ounce package. And that, I mean, earlier this year, I'm talking it was in between six and seven dollars. It is now regularly over 10 bucks for the same package of turkey. Now, to me, I sit there and go, yeah, that's way more than I want to pay. But, I mean, one of those things generally will last me for a week so for my lunches. So, I'm like, well, I'm paying $2 a day for lunch, essentially. Yeah. No, nah, I mean, you can you can rationalize. It's always ultimately probably yeah. better to grow grocery shopping than, uh, than not. But, uh, you know, the prices have just been crazy, man. Yeah, and it's crazy because in this article, our, our friends with Smokey John's Barbecue, Brent is quoted in this, and he says that they actually ended up taking turkey breast off their regular menu for a while because of the turkey store shortage, and they're struggling to get turkeys to smoke for Thanksgiving, and with the turkeys they can get, they're paying six to seven times more for them than they did in years past. Oh, this sounds like a good Thanksgiving for brisket. Man, no doubt, man. No doubt. And they are saying that like a lot of restaurants are saying that you will be because most people like if you get a smoke one, you don't do it yourself. You get it through a restaurant. They are saying that turkeys will sell for probably at least $20 more per turkey than what you would most routinely be expected to pay from last year. And it's wild because this turkey shortage came from. It's a nationwide turkey shortage. There was an outbreak of avian influenza. And because of that, five and a half million of the country's commercial turkeys were depopulated, so killed, due to the bird flu. And that was as recently as July. And because of that, the production leading up to Thanksgiving will be about 6% lower turkey production than what it was a year ago. Sounds like Cornish hens are the way to go. <laughs> a Cornish hen. What the hell is that? <laughs> or perhaps baby turkeys. I don't even know. We always, eat, we always eat full-grown turkeys. What about baby turkeys? Is Cornish hen an animal? It's a, it's a breed of chicken. I'm trying to find yeah, a picture of it. I've like heard a, of it. I just didn't know what like, it looks like. I don't think we can call it a dwarf chicken, so maybe like a little chicken. Okay, I see it now. The Cornish hen. The Cornish hen. Man, that it's is way been, smaller than a normal one. You know, Cornish hens were just so weird to me. I'd just be like, nah, please, have my. Yeah, I guess so, man. I don't know. It, it's I, I don't know that I've ever, I'm sure I have. Surely at some point in my life, I've had Cornish hen. 
Ask your beautiful mom. I'm sure she's cooked them one day. Okay, I'll have to look into that. The other thing I wanted to bring up, and this is based on an article that you sent, and this is, anytime I see something like this, it blows my mind that this was even still a thing. But you sent an article to me a couple of days ago, and I checked it out, and that is the article about how companies like UPS and Disney are now beginning, in the year of 2022, are now beginning to allow workers to show their tattoos. You know, bro, let me, let me just tell you something, dog. You know, it's, it's, it's actually somewhat irritating to me because we live in a country based off of religion. I mean, that's really what it's based on. It's based on religion. That's why God is everywhere. And I'm a Christian. I believe in God. But the fact how a certain group of Christians want to just make it, it's my way, it's the way I live, and you should all live like this. Otherwise, you're going to hell. Um, nobody said tattoos were bad. They had a certain stigma with them, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. There's no stigma with them now. Have you seen some of the incredible artwork that tattoo artists do? Yeah, I have I, some I mean, of it. I mean, <laughs> yes, I've got some as well. Yours is better than mine. My son yeah. has some, some incredible artwork that, you know, shoot, he paid, I don't know, a grand for yeah um there's nothing to be wrong about it. it's nothing that says oh you're a thug because you got it's no different than black women having choosing to wear braids or whatever or natural hair um you know it's whatever's comfortable man it's like why are we trying to make everybody fit into this cookie cookie cutter box that is basically some fundamental christian box yeah and it's just it's strange to me i don't understand it and obviously i work in an industry where nobody cares and it's not it doesn't even cross my mind so when I read an article like this, I'm like, wow, like there's still companies out there that, and apparently UPS, Disney, Virgin Atlantic, and the U.S. Army are becoming more relaxed on covering up your tattoos. Home Depot, for instance, said that when COVID hit, and obviously they want people to be able to work for them and whatnot, I mean, this is, like, this is nuts to me, okay? Home Depot would not allow you to show your tattoos, would not allow facial hair, and would not allow natural hair. So as this person in the, oh, this is their, their CEO of UPS, rather. This is UPS. She says, so if you were African-American and wanted to have an Afro or twist or braid, that wasn't permitted. And our tattoo policy was more restricted than the U.S. Army. And I did not know this, but UPS, if you had tattoos that were visible, you had to cover them up either with long pants or shirts, or you'd have to wear a cover over whatever it is. And they still, yeah. they still will not hire people. It's still against their policy to have tattoos on your face, visible on your neck or your hands. Yeah, I mean, you know, bro, it's, I think you always have to deal with societal changes. For example, when I was a kid in high school, smoking a joint was like, you're a bad person. You're going to become a drug addict if you don't go to hell. I'm not sure what will happen first. Now today smoking a joint for a high school kid who's a senior or a college freshman to me isn't much different than having a couple beers when you're a high school junior or senior or a college freshman uh it's something i would prefer you didn't do if you were mine but then it becomes a responsibility talk and so you know to me you just have to opt with society you know 50 years ago your hair needs to be cut below your ear for whatever reason well, I mean, you know, the Beatles showed up and we decided they could change that. Yeah. I mean, societal yeah. changes and you got to roll with it. 
Yeah, man, this is just one of those. And my thing has always been, I mean, I'm like this. It's not just tattoos. I'm like this about most stuff. If you don't like tattoos, then don't get one. Like, what do you care if I have tattoos? And if you don't, I mean, it just blows my mind. Like, not my, like, I get it. And, and like, even the, the UPS and some of these other companies are still saying, like, if it's, if it's depicting nudity or offensive or whatnot, then you can't display it. That makes sense. But, like, what do you care if I want to wear something on my body that's something like that that's artwork to me? And if you don't like it, then don't look at it. Like, don't look at me. Close your eyes when you look at me. Makes sense to me. Don't you dare make eye contact with me. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm the queen. That's my new rule. You can't make (laughs) eye contact with me. No, but that type of thing, I don't know, man. Like, I remember, because there is still a stigma, but it's always the older generation. And sorry, older generation. I'm just saying. Well, Generally speaking, now I will back in, back in my day, well, they didn't do that. Do you remember when we were working at ESPN and God, whatever the hell they called that day that we did at the bowling alley ESPN day or whatever it was where we did our shows right. there and they had guests and like Cowboys yeah. players would come. Well, one year, the, the special guest was John Anderson, the, the sports center anchor. Right, and I remember that. Yeah, because that was right after I had just gotten my my late my one heady topper tattoo on my arm, and it was still fresh, and I had it wrapped, and it was a little sore. And I think Steve, like, he didn't realize it, and he like you know slapped me on the arm, like, "Hey, whatever, how's it going?" And I was like, "Whoa!" He's like, "I was like, I got my tattoo." And Anderson heard that, he goes, "Oh," he goes, "Well, you're gonna regret that in like forty years." And I just looked at him, <laughs> I was like, "Why would I regret it in forty years?" That that gives the impression that it was a drunken tattoo. I, I was like, now you could what? Now maybe maybe you would regret a drunken tattoo in four years. But if you're talking about Matt or you're talking about my dude, dude, my son planned his tattoo out for two years. I made that boy write a paper, a one page paper on why he wanted a tattoo. And then I made him explain, OK, you, you, you're showing me this, this is what you want. What does all this mean? And the dude had an explanation for every single thing he had on there. It was well thought out, well yeah. conceived. And and he did it for a purpose. Yeah, that, it drove me nuts when he said that. I was like, you don't know me. You have no idea what, what this is about for me. And I just thought that was such a ridiculous comment to say to somebody that you don't know. Because, I mean, he obviously thought I was younger than I was. I, I didn't get any tattoos till I was 30. I waited to make sure I really, really wanted him in my life. I still wanted him when I was 30, so I started getting them. And if I just had an unending supply of money, I would have more tattoos. I like yes. them. I like looking at them. I like having them on me. I got my first one at 37. Yeah, and, and there's more that I'm going to get that I want to get, and I just don't understand that. I mean, it, it's it's very interesting. And according to this article, this is back in January from something called Rasmussen Reports. A survey found that almost half of Americans under 40 have tattoos, and across all ages, one third of Americans have tattoos. Dude, I mean, every I mean, there was a stretch where people were getting tattoos just you know, at a ridiculously high rate. Uh, and it's not a judgment thing uh, because most tattoos are so incredibly personal and people can tell you all kind of in-depth reasons why they have them, what yeah. they mean, uh, and what the purpose is behind them. Yeah, man, and it's just, it's one of those very interesting things to me because I notice this, like nobody, as far as I know, at the radio station where I work, I'm the only person that has tattoos that you can at least see. So maybe some people have them and I don't know. But I always think that's interesting you know, and then I go to places where I see people with tattoos and I almost feel more comfortable, 
You know, I don't know what it is. Like to me, it's just as strange. Like it never bothers me seeing people's tattoos. And a lot of the times I like seeing them, especially if they're well done. Cause I like, I talk to people about them. I'm like, Hey, True where'd it. you get that done? Or what is that? What's the story behind that? Yeah. I don't know. It's, I just, I thought we had gotten past that. I didn't realize that in 2022, the stigma of tattoos was something that still even could really exist. It's sad to me. Yeah. Narrow-minded people in general, bro. Apparently so, man. I tell you what. And my final thing for you here in this trip around the block, do you remember the movie that came out in 1996? It was Twister with the tornadoes yeah. in it and whatnot. It had Bill yeah. Paxton and Helen Hunt, yes. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Apparently, they have greenlit, and Steven Spielberg is backing the script on this, a sequel to that movie. It'll be called Twisters. They will begin filming in the spring. They haven't cast it yet, or at least the, the choices aren't known. And they are hoping that Helen Hunt will be in it. She's 61 years old now, and that is a movie. The sequel will feature the daughter of the two main characters, the Helen Hunt and Bill Paxton characters from the original. It will feature their daughter, who is now a storm chaser. Now, Bill Paxton passed away a few years ago due to complications after heart surgery. And obviously, Philip Seymour Hoffman died years ago of a drug overdose. But man, that is one of those movies that if you see it to this day, it still holds up. And I got to say, with the technological advances we have with CGI and special effects, movies like that, to me, I can't imagine how realistic they could make tornadoes in today's film. Well, that was my first thought that with the technology, yeah. it's going to be a it's going to be a trip because uh, it was really good 20 years ago before the technology was out there. So I could only think about what it's going to be like now. And so, yeah, uh, especially when you put on some Dolby surround sound or put it around your crib in a movie in your home theater. Yeah, that's, man. That's, uh, I think I had Twister because of that very reason. Some I was going to say get because they're special effects movies. That's exactly why I had it on DVD back in the day is because I had a surround sound system. And that was one of those movies that was like the elite level, you know, THX, Dolby Digital Surround Sound, whatever it was. And that really took advantage of the sound of a surround sound system. And I'll yeah. tell you this. Let me see when that, that movie came. I can't remember exactly when it came out. I want to say it was a, one of those summer blockbusters back then in 1996. But I saw that movie. And this is, yeah, May 10th of 1996. I'm pretty sure I saw it the day that it came out. The night that I saw it at the theater, it was the old Rockwall 8, which no longer exists in Rockwall. I don't know that it was a tornado, but in the middle of that movie, a storm hit Rockwall that night, and the power went out in the theater while we were watching that movie. Well, that would drive me crazy. I'd Dude. Going, ah! Yeah, everybody was like, oh, my God, what's happening? Like, it was so trippy, and... I swear that was the night that the that there was something that hit Rockwall. I don't know. I don't know that it, I would call it a, a tornado, but like something that was like really bad winds, because they used to have one of those old movie like out by the road. The sign would show you the movies that were playing, right? And that night, whatever hit Rockwall destroyed that sign, and they replaced it with just like Studio Eight movies, and they never put back like what movies were playing on the sign ever again. Damn. Yeah, man. Like that? Yeah, it was nuts. I remember that like crazy. And that's the reason why within the next couple of years, me and my friends in college, whenever there were tornadoes, we would try to go and like chase them and see if we could see them. No, y'all crazy. Yeah, because we were that stupid. No, nah, that's some white people stuff. My brothers don't <laughs> typically do that. I'm just going to keep it real with you. You're probably right, man. I don't know. Brothers ain't chasing no storm. I will believe you. I, I mean, you're the one that told me pumpkin pie is not your thing. So I, I will believe you. I had no idea. 
<laughs> that's the one thing I'll never forget. <laughs> You're like, no, that's for white people. It's like, no, it isn't. You're like, yeah, it is. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 97 percent of black people take sweet potato over pumpkin. And apparently, tornado chasing is also a white guy thing, I guess. Yeah, and the three who don't probably grew up in the in the burbs. Yeah, they probably did. It'll be like you know, growing up in Rockwall. Our homecoming king was a black guy named Benny Mims. Maybe he was a tornado guy. I don't know. <laughs> See, that's what's up. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I had no idea, dude. But yeah, that movie, I'll be curious. That That is one of those sequels from the 90s that I would be all about. No, me too. I'm done with it. And we'll see if they can make up some of those other ones. But we got to move on because we've got to get quickly here into our next conversation. Back to the Cowboys. I know everybody's going to like this one. All right, let's check in with our ESPN Cowboys insider. You know him well. It's Todd Archer joining us here. And, and Arch, we had an interesting game. I think a lot of people felt Philadelphia had the advantage being at home, but it, it almost seemed like as good as Cooper Rush had played and, and had done things the way that the Cowboys needed from him his first four games, man, it came to a screeching halt Sunday night against Philadelphia. What do you take away from that matchup in, in Cooper Rush? Two things. I'll answer what I took away from it and the Cooper Rush thing I kind of kind of separately, but I kind of left the stadium thinking the Cowboys can beat these guys. Like I know they're six and zero, I know they're undefeated, but they got it to twenty seventeen after being down twenty to nothing. The 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 defense didn't with you know hold up well in that fourth quarter drive, but I'm like, all right, Dak comes back. They get more comfortable playing, you know, with, with guys like Tyler Smith, the left tackle, and Michael Gallup at receiver, and they, you know they found their running game. I think the defense will be fine. I'm like, huh, I can't wait for a Christmas Eve matchup because it's probably going to be a lot on the line for that one. So th- that that was like my overarching theme, and I don't know if like that's stupid, like, but uh, you know, I woke up Monday and seeing all these people talk about, well, Philadelphia just showed their dominance over the Cowboys. I was like. Did they really? Like, okay, they're right now they're the best team based on their record, and they just beat them, so you give them their props. But I came out of here thinking the Cowboys can beat these guys when they play them the next time at AT&T. As far as Cooper Rush, you saw why he's a backup, right? I mean, he avoided mistakes his first four games. He he looked unsure. It looked like, you know, that as soon as it was a two-score game, they kind of had to change their M.O. a little bit, and that didn't fit well with the formula that they've had with him. And no, no offense to Cooper Rush, he's done amazing. Like, and, and he won four games that I don't know how many people would have thought they would, but the, the, the slipper fell off the foot, and now it's time to say, okay, Dak, get back here and, and, and play well, and you don't need to rescue the season because there's still everything to play for. So what do you think – Happened to Cooper Rush? I just answered that question, Jock. Were you not? Oh, like I was. No, I was listening. I was, I was going to say, was it as simple? I really meant, was it really as simple as that? He just, or was it more like after six weeks or five weeks, defensive coordinators had a chance to kind of figure out what he likes, what he doesn't like. They forced him to do some things he didn't like. That's a, that type of thing. No, I was listening very intently to you. Sure, you were. I think I don't always. The, the score. I think it was the score of the game and. The Cowboys falling behind, and the Eagles could kind of do things uh, defensively against them, especially there in the second half, where they got after them. They, you know, and they, they their corners are really good. Um, you know, Darius Slay might be the best corner in the league right now. Uh, Bradbury's 
fine. Although I don't think the Cowboys will be scared going going his way. They they weren't, but just time ran out on him. That's all. I mean, this is eventually like he yeah. He said it's the the fifth start that he's had. There's more film on him. They know what he likes. They know what he doesn't like. But he did direct two touchdown drives in the third slash fourth quarter. One was 93 yards long where they just killed him with the tight end. So, um, you know, it was the start of the game that put everything out of whack and made them have to score some points. And we've never seen this offense score points with them. They popped 24 points once with him as a quarterback. So that's why this was never – in, in our minds, or any right mind, going to be a quarterback controversy. This was not 2016 all over again. And, you know, hey, you, you give him a pat on the back, did your job, now you wait for your $40 million quarterback to play at a higher level than your backup quarterback did, which should happen, right? True. If it doesn't, then they're in trouble. Yeah, you would hope so. Did you see, and like you said, I mean, in the first half and the mistakes that Cooper Rush made and whatnot, and, and Philadelphia had a couple of drives that started in Dallas territory, but kind of to your point, all in all, the run game was very effective. They ran the ball well with Bozik and Pollard. Once it got more into being a closer game, is that more how the Cowboys, you think, want the offense to look with that really more of the focus on the run game? Yeah, and, you know, McCarthy told us that uh, what, uh, maybe even leading into the Philly game that this is going to be a defense-first operation, and that is leaning on the run game and controlling the tempo and the pace of the game that way. And I don't think that changes when Dak returns all that much. Now, what does return is the ability to make the big play, get press the ball down the field better, although Rush would take his shot, maybe even more shots than Dak would, but he just, there were a couple throws you could see. He doesn't have Dak's arm strength. Like, I'm thinking of an out route. There were a flag that he threw to Hendershot that a guy was able to, to kind of undercut and get his hand on. That would have been a big gain. Obviously, the the throw to TD that was kicked off at the end, he got hit pretty good there. But, again, a little stronger arm. Uh, you know, maybe that throw gets there even if you're getting hit. Um, but, I, you know, I don't think their formula for success necessarily changes with Dak coming back. They got to want to run the ball. Their offensive line has showed they can run the ball. Um, Zeke is, I think, having a really good start to the season. Pollard's a guy that can, we know he can hit the big plays. And they just need to find some explosives in the passing game that's been hard to find. They have 12 passes of 20 yards or more. I'm sure this is in the – JJT research department files that he has <laughs> last year through through six games they had 25 plays this year they've run 294 plays through six games last year was 420 and the big reason is wow. third down they're, they're they're 29th or something in the league in third down last year they were com- converting almost 47 percent of the time so they need to stick to the to this formula of smart sound football not wide open, which is what we've seen from a Kellen Moore offense basically since he's been the play caller. I think they need to stick with what, what's worked with Cooper Rush. Uh, now, your boy wrote a column to that effect uh, earlier today where I said it's it's about Dak's ego and uh, McCarthy's leadership. McCarthy's leadership meaning he has to really impart on it like, yo, I know Dak is back and we got more options, but we still need to play the same fundamental way. And for Dak, and this is just my theory, that – 
playing to this style means sometimes you need to run into a run front because it's about the big picture, even though you can change the play, you know, whenever you want to. Yeah, I mean, think of one of the signature plays in the Giants game. It's third and third and eleven, third and twelve, where where Rush changed it to a run and Zeke picked up twenty whatever it was, right? Uh, Tyler Smith blocked like thick guy. Um, right. I think we talked about it after that game. Does Dak check into that kind of look and, and call that run? Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. But I, you know, I, I think he trusts his arm and, and his ability to make some plays. But I don't worry about Dak from a from a ego. I've got all the answers, kind of thing, because uh, that's not that's not been his mo ever. Like he's he's not a guy that wants it to look. Yeah, he wants he wants to look good. He wants to play well, all that stuff. But uh, I think he's more into hey, if we win three to two, man, that that's cool by me. We won three to two. I don't think he's you know. And then you improve on things. I don't think he's happy if he throws for what he threw for Tampa last year in the opener, and they lost at you know thirty two twenty nine or whatever it was. Um, I, I I don't think you need to worry about Dak thinking I have to do everything uh, because when we've seen Dak at his best, it's not that he felt he needed to be Superman. Yeah, that's very true. It's the flip side of what we saw against Philadelphia, the defense, which it, it feels because you just look at it and go, ah, oh, 26 to 17, and, and they gave up a couple of touchdowns, whatever. But then you, you dig into it a little bit. As we mentioned earlier, a couple of those drives for Philadelphia started well into Dallas territory, and they yeah. held the Eagles to almost 100 yards less than they had gotten against anybody else all season, just 268. I mean, all in all, you, you almost look at this like you were talking about, Todd, I guess, and the idea that if you don't turn it over a couple of times early – the Dallas defense, for the most part, did a really good job against an explosive Philadelphia offense. Yeah, and some of that 268 yards is because three possessions started inside Dallas territory, so they didn't need to drive very far to go get some points. So there's a balance there, right? And they averaged three-point whatever on the run. To me, and Dan Quinn talked about it yesterday, and he was asked about it yesterday, or I guess i got to say Monday, right, for the podcast. <laughs> that it was that drive after they made it 20 to 17 where the defense had it on them to get it done and they had done it you know think of the plus side drive the stop that against Washington same against uh who did they play after Washington whoever it was they had another drive start deep inside the territory and didn't give up any points then either um Maybe it was the Giants. No, I don't know. But you know what I'm getting at. The Rams. This is the first time we saw them. Yeah, Yeah, the Rams. There you go. Yeah. This this is the first time where we saw them kind of give it up, and they got big boyed on that drive a little bit with their run. Uh, And and there has to be some concern about their run defense. It's four times they've given up more than 120 yards on the ground in six weeks. Some of it is you're playing your sub packages. You're you're open to, to being susceptible against the run. Um I get all that, but there has they they. I don't I don't know what you do. do maybe just live with it, right? That hey, if teams are going to be able to want to run it on you and be patient enough to run it on you, you just kind of live with it because that's not necessarily how a lot of teams want to play. Now the bad news is Philly is one of those teams, and they don't they don't care if Jalen Hurts throws for 155 yards. Like they're they're designed to run the ball 39 times for 
100 and whatever yards that they had uh, on Sunday night. So as we look forward and we get ready for Detroit, and Jacques and I were talking about this earlier, maybe you can recall, can you recall any other time where the Cowboys have played a single division in four straight games? Because that, that's what they're about to do. They're, they play Detroit, uh, yeah. Chicago, Green Bay, Minnesota. Yep. Yeah, with a bye week, splitting yeah. those four, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I can't I can't think of one. And honestly, it never really dawned on me when the schedule came out in the spring, whenever April, May, whenever it was, it came out that I looked at I'm like, oh, they're playing four straight division teams. And, you know, maybe th- th- this is another good way the schedule is setting up for the Cowboys. Right, theoretically, they will be at least favored to be six and two at their bye week with Detroit and Chicago. I'm, I don't know Mike McCarthy's record against those two teams when he was with, with Green Bay, but he won like fifty nine division titles. So I'm going to say he was pretty good against the <laughs> NFC North. Um, so you know, and Green Bay, we just saw the Jets go to Green Bay and win. And the Jets may be different. They might not be the same old Jets. It's certainly not the same old Packers. So that's a game that now you start thinking a little bit differently about winning. And then they go to Minnesota. Well, heck, they won there last year with their backup quarterback. So we seem to get in the – we say this a lot, like, why can't the Cowboys do this? Like the last couple of years, like, so who scares your stuff, right? Um, right? It's just setting up pretty good for the Cowboys in my mind. For, but – this first one is the key one because, as we always know, the Cowboys always lose the game where we say, how the hell did they lose that one? And this could be that game because Detroit, despite their record, is pretty talented. They can run the ball. They can move the ball. Now, they haven't really stopped anybody yet. But, you know, this is going to be another – this will be a challenge for the defense with what the, the Lions do offensively and what they've done to everybody else they've played essentially so far this there's a team that put up 35 at Philadelphia in the opener. You know, they, they, they can move the ball. So this would be a challenge for the Cowboys defense. And I did have this to ask you, man. Um, I look at the young tight ends, Ferguson and Hendershot, and I go, I don't see it. I, I'll, you know, quiet as it's kept. Jake Ferguson already looks like Dalton Schultz to me. And so um, I'm for real, man. Like he's a better blocker and he looks like he's the same receiver. So, number one, I, I, I take that to mean Dalton Schultz won't be back next year. But what do you think about the young tight ends and, and how they evolve as Schultz gets back? It's, I was talking to Babe Laufenberg before the game on Sunday. I'm like, why are they not throwing the ball to Ferguson? He showed the preseason. He's pretty good when he gets the ball in his hand. Not bad, bad after the catch. And then, lo and behold, they threw it to Jake Ferguson in that game. I'm, I'm with you. Um, I, coming into the season after they tagged, Dalton Schultz and they didn't get a deal done. I, I didn't think Schultz would be back just because his market was probably getting higher than what the Cowboys paid. And I knew they liked Ferguson at that time. Now, they'll still need to do something. If, if Schultz isn't back, they'll have to do something at that position to supplement it with the, with the guys they have. But this has not been the contract year that Dalton Schultz has hoped for with this knee injury that's effectively sidelined him for three games, right? I mean, he, he, he re-injured uh, against the Rams, didn't play very much after that. You know, maybe Dak coming back will help him because obviously there's a connection there and a trust there that they have uh, that they built over the years. But uh, the young Hendershot, he's not Blake Jarwin, but he's Blake Jarwin-esque in terms of how he can run and move. Great athlete. 
the thing he's got to fix is he's a penalty a, a game guy. You, you yeah. can't have that. You, you, that, that needs to change. Ferguson, to me, is a excellent blocker already, more than just willing to throw his, his head in there and he can actually do some things. And then we saw that he can catch it too. I, I think I told you guys this either at one of these times, but when we were at the Combine last year in February and we were just BSing with McCarthy and I said, hey, draft this Ferguson guy. And he looked at me like, you like him, huh? I'm like, yeah, he can do a little bit of everything. What you guys want in the tight end? He's like, okay. Now that's not why they drafted him, of course. <laughs> but I think it's kind of funny that here's a guy that I said to some of the head coach in February, and it turned out to be true. So when you lose as often as the media does in these games, when we think someone's going to be a really good player and he can't, you got to pump up the good one, the ones that you've hit on so far. And I'm going to pump up the Jay Ferguson one. Well, fair enough. You might as well take credit for that. I think that's a good thing to claim. So you kind of talked about the third down situation. And and one thing that is the same as last year, though, is the penalties. They had 10 for 72 yards against the Eagles. I think I did. I haven't looked at it since last night's game, but as as it was going in, I, I believe it was the Cowboys had the fifth most penalties in the league again. Have they talked about that at all? Is there any idea why they continue to struggle with these penalties at a lot of the times happening in key moments? Yeah, I mean, have they talked about it? If they haven't, then they shouldn't be in the NFL. So, yes, they've talked about it. Now, what do you do about it? You know, some of them you can live with, right? There's going to be a hold. uh, There's going to be combative penalties, as McCarthy calls them. The ones you can't live with are jumping off sides on third and four when the team's not going to run a play at the end of the quarter, like Fowler did, an illegal motion penalty on Hendershot where he's going forward against the line before the snap. Uh, you can't have the Diggs penalty where he slams his helmet down. You can't have the Odigazoo, I think it was Odigazoo at the end of the game, where, yeah, okay, Kelsey might have played to the echo of the whistle on you in that one, and it got you a little upset. Uh, but those are the ones you, you can't have. It's not like this penalty thing is a Mike McCarthy deal. The Cowboys have been a penalized team. They were a penalized team under Parcells, too, I want to say. And, and, and certainly under Garrett, certainly under Wade. Penalties are always high against these guys I, I don't know I might need to research more of that or maybe we can get Jock's department on that but <laughs> it's not, I don't think it's a McCarthy thing because when he was in Green Bay they weren't a highly penalized team so I'm not trying to get the conspiracy theorists out there but you know regardless of who the coach is the Cowboys have penalties and I always come back to the Parcells line dumb players do dumb things you know that's kind of what happens at, at times and when it rains it pours and you have crews that look for things or want to be over efficient um that's going to happen but two weeks ago against the rams i don't think they had a lot of penalties from bill Vinic- bill Vinovich if bill Vinovich's crew could referee every game in the nfl every week every coach in the nfl would be happy because he let them play and too oh. often these these kind of crews a, a, a lot of times in my view They'll call penalties that have no impact on the play away from the ball or whatever. It's like, what, what are we calling here? Like, it's just, you know, you just want to get your name in the paper kind of thing. Uh, one last thing before we let, we let you go, at least for me. Um, that that non-challenge of CeeDee Lamb's call, I've heard the explanation. It don't really make sense to me. Are you buying it? <laughs> um, yeah, it doesn't make sense. So, no, I can't say I'm buying it. If it well, why don't you tell folks to, what the explanation was? Well, they, 
went into it. They thought they had the first down. By the time they were getting all lined up, they thought they still had a good play to convert it on fourth down. You know, there there's an element of the percentages of, of the ruled down by contact getting changed that I think is in the coach's mind. But in, in my view, in that situation, when the score is the way it does, was where the ball was in Cowboys territory, just throw the challenge flag for throwing the challenge flag's sake. And if you lose a timeout, well, you lose a timeout. Who cares? Instead, they look disorganized, discombobulated, and their execution was bad. Like, I don't know if Noah Brown was on the correct side and then he moved over and, or if he was supposed to be on the other side. Because basically, he and CD collided. And I, CD was supposed to get the ball on that little play. It was basically the, the play the Eagles ran to A.J. Brown where you're kind of getting guys to run through traffic. And it just, you know, I, I can't imagine that you're throwing the Hendershot in fourth and one situation like that. I, I'd make the argument he could have run the ball with, with Zeke or Paul or whoever was on the at the time. But I'm not buying the idea of why you didn't challenge it. When I, It's funny, last week I asked him about who is your challenge guy, who's in the ear, and he didn't want to say because he goes, look, if you're going to blame anybody for that stuff, just blame me, so I don't want to tell you. But there are times where you throw the challenge flag to change the pace of the game, whether you think you're going to win it or not. That was one where I think even he he he, he did or will or would admit that he should have, should have thrown the flag and, and challenged that spot. Todd Archer, as always, man, great stuff. We appreciate it. Yep, thanks, fellas. All right. See you next week. All right, sounds good. All right, brother. There he is, Todd Archer, ESPN Cowboys insider. Always good to chat with Todd, and it's it's crazy, man. It's it's going to be interesting for a couple of reasons. One, we were just talking about going through the NFC North, in which they are about to embark on in four, well, five weeks, but four games in five weeks to buy mixed in. I know that you had a bunch of people that were tweeting at you about that call and McCarthy for whatever reason, and I, I think it's interesting. There's a couple of points here. Like you pointed out, people make mistakes. And it's interesting. We we tend to, for whatever reason, and, and it feels like it's just McCarthy. I know that we did this with Garrett, too. Whenever the team is having success, we, are, we give credit to anybody else. True that. But whenever there is a mistake made that we don't like that is a coaching challenge or a time clock management, whatever you want to say, the first person that we skewer is, well, they'll never win or do anything with Mike McCarthy. I can't believe he didn't challenge that. Right, right, right. It's a weird dynamic. But, I I mean, that's being the coach of the Dallas Cowboys, maybe more so than any other franchise, obviously. I don't know. And then his point, like the penalties, some of them, the stuff that happens pre-snap, like the false starts, and things that the blocking in the back and stuff like that are the ones that tend to draw drive me insane because those are ones that you can you can eliminate those you know some right. of them are like sometimes holds or, or you look at it and you go ah, I don't know I mean maybe one ref sees it and calls it the other one doesn't pass interference is so subjective who the hell knows but it's it's some of those dumbass penalties that you look at and you go man like the taking off of the helmet in the end zone and the unsportsmanlike stuff that you know you can't do that gets flagged that you just got to stop doing those those ones you can immediately eliminate no i mean i think that's pretty clear uh, it's a it's a self-discipline issue and you know you're not really going to bench nfl players and so all you can do is harp on it continuously about the discipline the discipline the discipline the discipline the discipline and hope that at some point it gets you know it gets through 
Yeah, you hope so, man. I'll tell you, I had, I had this conversation with Alabama fans today because obviously they committed those 17 penalties against Tennessee, and I was ripping them. And people are, well, they didn't call penalties on Tennessee, and they weren't. I was like, you know what? You, who cares what Tennessee is doing? Like, I don't even care. Yeah. You can't control what the refs are going to call those, but you can control the 13 penalties. Like, there were four pass interference calls in that game, and I used your line on Alabama fans today. I said, oh. I said, look, if you want me to hold Alabama to a different standard, then <laughs> we can. I did. I said this. I said, we can have a different conversation. But from what I understand, this is elite dominant Alabama. They shouldn't be committing these types of penalties. Right. Now, you know, I mean, I, I think that's uh, I think that's fair. I, I would assume most people didn't like it. But, uh, you know, that's the nature of the beast, man. Uh, one other thing about this topic that drives me nuts, and you probably saw my tweet about it today, is just, you know, at my job, we do this and we do this and we do this. And, and whenever I get those people, I'm just like, so what you're telling me is you're perfect at work. Yeah. Like, at your job, you never, it's like, stop it, bro. Literally, everybody screws up at their job. Uh, some someone screws a small. I've had some of the biggest screw ups in Dallas Morning News history at w- when I worked there. They didn't happen often, <laughs> but they happen because people are what man. One, uh, you know, at the Morning News, when you have a correction, any correction, small, huge, you have to write a memo like, "Here's what happened." Mm. And one time, dog, I literally wrote, "I'm human," <laughs> <laughs> which is fair. And I got yelled at for that. <laughs> That's awesome. I told the guy, I said, what I mean is, you said check everything. Yeah. In my mind, I believe that to be equivalent to the sun is yellow. So I don't check that the sun is yellow because I know it. Obviously, I was wrong. So I'm human. I messed up. I'm just like, you know. Now, again, I was young in my career, so I didn't go like, so you're telling me you never fucked up? You know, I didn't go there, but I thought it. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, it's it's... Everybody who's ever had a job or who's, I mean, relationships, I mean, across the board, we all screw up at some point. And you look at it and you go, you know what? I was wrong. I, in hindsight, looking back, I would do this again. Hopefully I have learned so that when that situation presents itself in the future, I can move forward and I can, I can have another opportunity to do it correctly in the future. Exactly. I mean, I think that's all you can do. I, I mean, I tell my kids this and I've told them this for years. When you screw up, Number one, you got to own it. Number two, you got to figure out how not to make that same mistake again. And then number three, check this out. Move on. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, move on and and go forward. And that's maturity, man, is learning. Okay, I screwed up here. And in the future, when a similar situation presents itself, now I have the experience to know I need to handle it differently. No, absolutely. That's what McCarthy needs to go. Next time, I'm throwing the damn flag. (laughs) All right, my friends, that's the Jam Session podcast. Back at it again. We'll have another episode for you on Friday, taking a deeper dive into the Cowboys and Lions, seeing that the Cowboys can get to five and two. Thanks for listening. As always, we love each and every one of you, though in separate ways. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. 
Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.